0: Hello, and welcome to the Letters from Our Fathers podcast, where we explore the actual history of America's founding fathers from their own written words and personal correspondence, but without modern partisan political ideologies. I am your host, Roman. Now let's learn some real history. Right on, everybody. Welcome back. Everybody all around the world, welcome back to the podcast. It is fantastic to have you here on this episode number 20. Hard to believe it's been uh, 20 episodes already, but here we are. And uh, many, many more to come yet in the weeks months possibly years yet to come some um, thank you for participating with us on this podcast thank you for being a listener and sharing the podcast as much as possible i uh i know it's uh, up to you folks out there to really get the word out about the podcast and i appreciate that because i know some of you folks do uh, a little update on that actually just uh in case you're uh curious about a little inside baseball on the uh, on the podcast i was looking at the numbers on it and um actually california has recently um taken the lead as far as the number of downloads for this podcast. California's number one. It was Texas for the longest time. Uh, listeners in Texas to this podcast were number one for a very long time, actually. I think since almost the beginning of the podcast. And now it's, uh, California's edged them out, so you folks in Texas, if you want to get the numbers back up, there you go. And I believe followed, third place is, uh, Pennsylvania, interestingly enough. Uh, which, is, uh, which is actually good. Pennsylvania, a lot of uh, Founding Fathers type stuff happened in Pennsylvania back in the day. We've been talking recently about the Conve- the uh, Continental Congress in Philadelphia. So you folks in uh, Pennsylvania listening are really close to that action. I wonder if any of you folks have actually been out to uh, Philadelphia to see Independence Hall, Carpenter's Hall, Museum of the American Revolution, places like that. As we, uh, we talked about that on, a, on an episode recently. So uh, those, those are the numbers on the podcast. California, number one. Texas, number two. Pennsylvania, number three. Uh, very grateful to you folks out there in those, those three states, uh, a lot of downloads out there. And, uh, obviously a lot of other states represented as well. I know North Carolina has been, been around for a while. Uh, we've had listeners in North Carolina and other countries around the world too, beyond the United States. So thank you to everybody for sharing the podcast and getting the word out. You know, this, uh, this last week I was listening to a, a Korean war veteran and, he made the comment of, you know, this talking about the Korean War that, you know, this stuff isn't taught anymore. They need to teach this stuff to the kids in school. And I was thinking to myself, you know, that's absolutely right. You know, the Korean War is an often forgotten war. Honestly, though, almost every American war outside of Iraq and Afghanistan is a forgotten war at this point in, uh, in certain circles. Not in, my, not in my generation. My generation, I think, um, very well aware of World War II and Vietnam. And earlier than me, uh, those folks who are, who are older than myself, there's a few generations that come before my time, obviously they're still around, and they're probably very well aware of World War II, Korea, Vietnam, maybe even World War I. Uh, not that they lived during World War I, but they were taught World War I, and probably even the Civil War, things like that, the big ones. But I, I do have a, a very serious concern, as did that Korean War veteran. It sounded like that, you know, the, the newer generations coming up are just not taught this stuff anymore. And, you know, this has a relation, obviously, to this podcast, because the, the founding of the country and the Revolutionary War and the War of 1812, you know, things around this particular time period are very much in in the same situation is the Korean War they're just they're just not taught that much anymore not in any kind of detail I mean people might have some vague knowledge of the Korean War but you know unless you're in a certain generation I think it I think it escapes a lot of folks the younger folks I really do now there's some younger folks out there who are history enthusiasts like me they're younger than me And they know about this stuff, and that's fantastic. But not everybody's a history enthusiast, as we all well know. For those of us here who are history enthusiasts, for those of you out there listening to this podcast who are very much like me in that respect, you know and I know that most people aren't like that. Uh, We're not exactly a rare breed of cat. There's a lot of us out there, but most most folks are, you know, ordinary, you know, run-of-the-mill types when it comes to history. They know a little bit of this or that, but they don't really know a lot of things in depth, in any, any kind of meaningful substance. Because it's not a passion of theirs. Now, I, I have a similar opinion to that Korean War veteran. I think everybody should know some substance about these things because it's important. You know, these soldiers who fought and died and those that were wounded, those that weren't wounded, those that actually made it back okay, thank goodness. uh, They, you know, they have a story to tell about these important things that happened. And uh, speaking uh, on the Korean War front, I mean, you've got millions and millions of people in South Korea that are free today because of what those veterans did. And there's a story there. And who's going who's gonna to know the story of Korea and how, how much liberty and freedom that the people of South Korea have today because of the sacrifice of American soldiers? And thank, thank goodness for that. I mean, those, those American soldiers who served during that time, they can point to that country, South Korea, and say, those people are free because of me, in part because of me. That is to say, the, the soldiers speaking, not me on this podcast, but you know what I mean, the, the soldiers who fought. And that's a big deal. And we can all point back to the Founding Fathers and say, you know, we have a country today. We have a Declaration of Independence that this country still lives under to this day because of those guys and those women, frankly, too, who sacrificed during that period of time. And that's a big deal. And we ought to know that. We ought to teach that stuff. So what what, what does that mean for us? Like I always say, you know, you got to, you know, in getting the word out about this podcast, you are helping with that. You are helping to educate the people of the country and the people of the world about what the Founding Fathers did, you're, you're you know, in me doing this podcast and you sharing this podcast, you're, you're enabling a multitude of people to be able to have easy access to this history. So they don't have to spend a lot of time getting into the source materials, the reference books and all the rest of it. They can study the, they can study this material with us here on the podcast. And so if you needed some inspiration to share the podcast with some folks and get the word out there, that's it. That's it right there. You know, and the words of that Korean War veteran are really one of the big reasons why I started doing this podcast is that kind of thing, people saying that kind of thing. And I said, well, I can help, maybe not about the Korean War. I mean, I could do a Korean War podcast, but, you know, this, this had been on my radar for a while, the, the founding of the country, the beginning where it all started. And so I said, why don't I do that? I could do that at least. And uh, so here I am with this podcast. And uh, I thank all the listeners of this podcast for uh, for helping me out with that re- in that regards. Thank you very much for that. So this um, this episode today is going to cover uh, a conversation largely between Abigail Adams and John Adams, and also some other folks. And it's all gonna it's gonna there's gonna be references to Greece and Rome in here, and the the education of the generation of the founding fathers is going to become apparent. What did they study? how much what did they know what were they looking at when the when the country was starting out even before the war began what were they, to, what were they talking about about Rome and Greece and uh, John and Abigail Adams had a good conversation about that as well as one of their associates one of their friends William Tudor and I wanted to bring that into the podcast and I wanted to talk about it a little bit here and uh, provide you some uh, some commentary on what was what, what what that's all about why why would they talk about Rome and Greece when it comes to the founding of the United States so we're going to talk about that today. And, uh, thank you for bearing with me on the last episode of the podcast, episode 19. As I mentioned on that episode, I had a cold. I still kind of do, but, uh, largely recovered from it. The last episode was, was short in part because of that and it further put me behind in my research, uh, unfortunately, but the, the last episode of the podcast was kind of last minute, uh, because, uh, I didn't have a lot of time to prep and I was really, you know, down for a, for a little while with, uh, with that cold. But, um, Appreciate you bearing with me on that one and having patience with the podcast on that. But with all that said, we're going to talk about some uh, interesting topics, conversations between John and Abigail Adams today on this episode of the podcast. Let's get started on that right now. All right, and you know, and just as a uh, a sidebar on adding to that, um, the sentiments from our uh, Korean War veteran that I mentioned. Previous, The one that I was listening to talk about this um, this topic of this information is not taught anymore. I think one of the reasons why that, that, that Korean War veteran feels that way, perhaps, or, or why he gets the impression that this stuff is not taught anymore is, number one, because it's not. But the, the, the deeper question is, is why isn't it taught? And it's because people don't do it. Uh, obviously, but, I mean, what does that mean? I think people expect the school system to do it for them. They expect the education system to teach this stuff, and, and guess what? I mean, I don't think this is going to come as a surprise to a lot of listeners to this podcast. They're not doing it. So it's, it's really our responsibility to do it. Uh, that Korean War veteran is counting on us to do that job, not the school system, us. Just like the Founding Fathers are counting on us to get the word out about what they did, and to educate people about the history of what happened, because nobody else is going to do it. That's that's kind of the the big ticket item. I just wanted to make sure and add that in there. And we're actually going to one of the letters that I'm going to talk about today is going to is going to touch on this subject, which is why it was uh, very apropos, or it was very very appropriate timing that I that I was listening to that that war veteran from Korea talk about what he was talking about and the education of this material. So. Again, you folks sharing this podcast uh, really helps with the, the at least the founding and the revolution part of that part of that equation and getting the uh, getting the education out about that because again, I mean this isn't going to happen anywhere else and I know, I know some folks are going to say, "Oh, Roman." Uh, oh, maybe maybe you went to a terrible school or something, uh, but this stuff's being taught everywhere else. Everywhere else in the country, this stuff's being taught. Everybody knows this stuff, except for, you Except for you know, obviously you and the people you went to school with. You weren't educated in this stuff, but everybody else in, in the United States, uh-huh. Yeah, I know. I, I've heard that before. And there might be a few folks out there who think that, who think that this stuff's getting taught in th- the education system, but I, it's not. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people from various parts of the country about this kind of thing, educated in a lot of different places, and I'm, I'm telling you, this stuff isn't taught. There's obviously a few schools that do teach this stuff, but by and large, no. And having been to the university, uh, I can tell you that you could. it's possible for somebody to get from semester one in the university to graduation without really studying any of this stuff at all. It's very possible. So this stuff has to be done outside of the school system, outside of the college system. It's just not going to happen in there. So anyway, that said... I think I think if we can get rid of all those assumptions, then we can begin to lay the tracks for getting the education out about these kinds of topics, these important moments in history that people really do need to know about. Now, let's get into our letters for today. This first letter that we're going to talk about is one written from Abigail Adams to John Adams on August the 19th of 1774. Uh, Abigail Adams is going to be, you know, a recurring guest on the podcast. Uh, she's a very educated woman she's very sharp uh, I've read a number of her letters and this back and forth between her and John Adams and there's a, there's a number of these letters that are gonna you know come come up as as we do this podcast that are going to be very very informative and I really really appreciate the insight that uh, Abigail Adams is going to provide to us uh, she's uh, she's got a really good perspective and some really good thoughts on what was going on at the time, her perspective on that, and, and all that. She, she's just fantastic, and I, I'm very glad that we have the letters from Abigail Adams to, uh, to teach us these things that we're going to learn. So again, this is written from Abigail Adams to John Adams, and this was written from Braintree, uh, Massachusetts, which is their, their farm, basically. She wrote this uh, most likely on the farm outside of Boston. And keep in mind, August the 19th, what's our perspective on August the 19th? This is when John Adams was still on his way to Philadelphia. And I quote, The great distance between us makes the time appear very long to me. It seems already a month since you left me. The great anxiety I feel for my country, for you, and for our family renders the day tedious and the night unpleasant. The rocks and quicksands appear upon every side. What course you can or will take is all wrapped in the Boston of futurity. Uncertainty and expectation leave the mind great scope. Did ever a kingdom or state regain their liberty when once it was invaded without bloodshed? I cannot think of it without horror." So she, she uses the same word that we heard from John Adams before. Remember when we were reading letters from John Adams, he used that same word, anxiety. That's, that's the word that she uses here in this letter as well. She says, quote, The great anxiety I feel for my country, end quote. They feel very much the same. The weight of this thing on their shoulders is immense. It's incredible. And Abigail Adams feels it too. Even though she's not at the Congress, she's right there near Boston, at times in Boston, with her children. And the, the, the British military is right there. In the city, and outside the city, as we're going to find out probably in the next episode. Uh, It'll either be episode number 21 or 22. We're going to get a little insight into that. Not much of one, but we're going to get a little bit of that. And then there's this, this line here that she says about the Boston of Futurity. Quote, what course you can or will take is all wrapped in the Boston of Futurity. End quote. Futurity, meaning, you know, posterity, the future. Founding Fathers and Abigail Adams frequently write about this kind of thing. That's talking about the Boston of the future. She's aware of the implications of all this and what it means to the people of the Boston of the future, the Boston of today, 2021. And I I wonder sometimes today if the people of Boston really appreciate the sacrifice of Abigail Adams and John Adams and all of these people of this time. Do they really appreciate it or do they take it for granted? Do they understand how their city was impacted by these events in 1774, 75, 76, and beyond, I would venture a guess to say that probably, you know, I'm I, I'm not going to ballpark a percentage, but you got to imagine a large number of the people of Boston today have absolutely no clue what happened in 1774. No clue. Oh, Roman, you're being too harsh. Of course the people of Boston understand in great exquisite detail what happened in 1774 and they they all to a man woman and child appreciate the sacrifices the suffering of a Samuel Adams or a John Adams or an Abigail Adams or a Dr Warren killed on the field of battle they 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 appreciate it all Roman don't you understand the people of Boston are are are, are immensely understanding of these things <laughs> No, you know, maybe I, I know some of them are. Matter of fact, I know for a fact that some of them are. I've heard some of them talk about it. Uh, not in person, but uh, at a distance. But uh, you and I both know, that is to say you, the listeners of this podcast, studying this material with me, and I know that the vast majority, I don't want to say the vast majority, I, I, I'm cynical sometimes, a great many people in Boston, in Massachusetts, haven't the first clue what happened in 1774. And frankly speaking, I don't think they care. And isn't that a sad commentary? They're too busy worrying about today and tomorrow. But as I've always said, well, not always. I didn't say this when I was 10 years old, but I've been saying it for many, many years. If you don't understand yesterday, you cannot, cannot understand today and tomorrow. You can't. It's impossible. You may think you can. There's a lot of people who are very arrogant and walk around and think they can understand tomorrow and today without understanding yesterday, but believe me, you can't. If you think you can, you're wrong. You ever hear that that, that old phrase, history repeats itself? Do you ever wonder why? I mean, why was it Germany in the 1940s invaded Russia and tried to occupy Moscow and think that that was going to be some victorious event? I mean, even if they had occupied Moscow, and they almost did why did they think that that was going to be such a a remarkable occasion? Why did they forsake other, more meaningful strategic objectives for the sake of capturing Moscow, when they should have known that Napoleon capturing Moscow in the early 1800s accomplished absolutely nothing? Not to mention the timing of it was terrible. Or alternatively, the Polish army occupying Moscow during the time of the Tsar. Oh yeah, did you know that Poland actually invaded Russia back in the day. So did Sweden, by the way. People forget about these things. Sweden, yes, that great military power known as Sweden invaded Russia once upon a time. And they actually were a military power once upon a time. They, they really were. Uh, so was Poland. But what it, what it, what did the, those various occupations of Moscow accomplish? Not much because of the, the general disposition of this, this large nation of Russia, right? And so the, it was a lesson unlearned. By Germany in the 1940s, I don't know how that's possible, but it was. So Germany didn't understand today from the perspective of the 1940s. In the 1940s, Germany didn't understand today because they didn't understand yesterday. They failed miserably. Thank goodness, and they—they, they, we're all very. Believe me, we're all very grateful that they failed miserably. Very grateful. Uh, the 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 rank incompetence in that particular country at the time was a uh, was a was a blessing, but. It's not a blessing in Boston today. The, the rank incompetence amongst the people of Boston is not a pleasant thing today. It's, it's a very dangerous thing today. And I, you know, I, you may think, oh, Roman, you're being too harsh. You're saying Boston is suffering from rank incompetence. Yeah, I'm saying that. And I'm not saying, definitely not everybody in Boston. Like I said, there's a lot of people in Boston who really do understand this history, but there's a whole bunch of people who don't. And boy, is that a problem. And that's just a microcosm of the Greater Union. That is to say, the greater United States of America. But I'll tell you what, Abigail Adams understood Boston of her time, 1774, and the Boston of futurity that she's talking about. And do you know why? Because she understood history. And boy, are we about ready to get a lesson from Abigail Adams in history. Why? Because she was a student of history, and a great student of history at that. And it takes a great student of history to understand today and tomorrow, and Abigail Adams qualifies. She was brilliant, very intelligent woman. Let's figure out how intelligent she was, at least in part. This is just a sliver of the intellect of Abigail Adams. Quote, "...yet we are told that all the misfortunes of Sparta were occasioned by their too great solicitude for present tranquility, and by an excessive love of peace they neglected the means of making it sure and lasting." They ought to have reflected, says Polybius, that there is nothing more desirable or advantageous than peace when founded in justice and honor. So there is nothing more shameful and at the same time more pernicious when attained by bad measures and purchased at the price of liberty, End quote. That's one of the most artfully executed paragraphs on the history of Sparta and Greece that I've ever read in my life, and I've read a few. I've read the the best that John Adams ever had to write, and this is the equal of that. You want if he, if you ever want to know why John Adams' intelligence was so sharp, why John Adams was such an intelligent man, there's a couple of reasons why he was a he was very he was a he was a great student of history. He he knew how to study the material and spend a great deal of time with it. A very educated man, John Adams, and he had books aplenty. I Actually, read. there was a letter I read about this. John Adams was talking about it, his library of books and the great fortune that he spent on it. And he was a hard worker, John Adams. John Adams was a very, very hard worker. But also, he had this woman in his life, Abigail Adams, his great wife, who was a very intelligent woman in her own right. You know, and the Bible, the Bible says something interesting about this. You know, it says... As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. I'm paraphrasing slightly. It's it's in this intellectual discourse between people that we sharpen our mind, right? That's the general concept to be conveyed there. And John Adams always had Abigail Adams there, at least for a good portion of his life anyway, most of his life. He had Abigail Adams there to help sharpen him. These two would go back and forth about this kind of thing, right? And that intellect would be sharpened over time. And what a great fortune it was, not just to John and Abigail Adams, that that relationship existed between those two very intelligent people, but it's also a great fortune to the United States of America. Because the United States of America benefited from this kind of thing, in the form of a great founding father, John Adams, and that that wisdom of Abigail Adams right there the whole time. Not to mention, keep in mind, this is the woman, and we're going to read about this here in a little bit, this is the woman who was raising John Quincy Adams. People forget about that sometimes. you got to think about these things in the total picture. This is the woman who's raising the sixth president of the United States. What an amazing school that must have been to attend. The school of Abigail Adams. Educating her children. And isn't that what I was talking about at the beginning of this podcast? About that Korean War veteran? People don't teach this stuff anymore. Don't count on the schools to do it. We need to do it. Because the schools are not... Believe me, the schools are not going to do it. And if you think they are... You know, you've got like a a one in a million chance of being right. Because there are a few few schools out there that do teach this stuff, but the vast majority of them do not. So most likely you're wrong if you think they are. Most likely you're wrong. You think Abigail Adams left it up to the public school to teach her children this stuff about Greece and Sparta? No, she did it herself. And we're going to read about that in a letter that's coming up here on this episode of the podcast. Get ready for it. So she's using her education in ancient Greece to inform her opinions about the Boston of her day. She's she's looking back to yesterday, Greece, to inform her opinions about her her perspective today and the Boston of futurity, the Boston of the future. Abigail Adams just demonstrated that thing that I have been saying for a while, even on this podcast. I've been saying this since since way back. On my Patreon side of things, if you've ever—not very many people have, but the people who have listened to my Patreon podcast know this, too, because I did a very long podcast about this topic exclusively. And that was quite some time ago. And there was this, there was a statement she made earlier in the preceding paragraph. I, I, you know, I I overlooked it. I want to go back to this and connect it with what she's writing about here in this most recent paragraph. Quote, did ever any kingdom or state regain their liberty when once it was invaded without bloodshed? End quote. Oh boy, there's a question. Did any kingdom or state regain their liberty when once it was invaded without bloodshed? She seems to imply that no, no, no state has ever regained their liberty. Once it was invaded, unless there was bloodshed paid for it. Liberty is often paid for in blood. We talked about this earlier. The people of South Korea, the liberty that they have was paid for in blood. Korean blood and American blood and others. Lots and lots of American blood. The, the Korean war veteran I was listening to talk earlier, the one I mentioned earlier, that is to say, uh, he, was, he was talking about the, uh, the battle that was fought at Ri, and the Chosun Reservoir. And the, the near annihilation of the Marines in that particular area by an invading army from China, in, in just that one battle, I mean the amount of American blood lost, the amount of lives ended, and forever changed to pay for that South Korean liberty. It's a lot, and I, I you know I think it's it's important for us all to remember that. And then we get down to this second paragraph. And we have this statement about Sparta, Sparta's misfortunes, you know, being occasioned by too much concern for, quote, present tranquility, end quote. Interesting. Let's read this, th- let's read this section again, this full section, quote, the misfortunes of Sparta were occasioned by their too great solicitude for present tranquility and by an excessive love of peace. They neglected the means of making it sure and lasting, end quote. Oh boy, is that a a tale as old as time? Talk about history repeating itself. An excessive love of peace. They neglected the means of making it sure and lasting. In other words, how do you make peace sure and lasting? I'm guessing it has something to do with this previous section where she said, quote, bloodshed, end quote. I tell you, Abigail Adams, for a woman, a peaceful woman, situated in a relatively peaceful part of the world at the time, Braintree in Boston, Massachusetts, I mean, it was peaceful in 1774. It was soon to be anything but peaceful. In less than a year, this woman will witness an outbreak of the largest war ever fought on the North American continent until the American Civil War. Bloodshed, ladies and gentlemen. Bloodshed. People don't like to admit it, do they? It doesn't feel warm and fuzzy, does it? Does it give you the warm and fuzzies to say that? No, it doesn't. doesn't give me the warm and fuzzies. But it's real, isn't it? That's real history. I was listening to somebody talk about that one time. I forget exactly how they said it. I'm gonna paraphrase slightly. It's a kind of a rhetorical question. Is history periods of peace punctuated by moments of warfare? Or is history periods of warfare punctuated by moments of peace? Something to that effect. In other words, which dominates more predominantly, you know, in in, in history? Is it warfare or is it peace? And the answer was warfare. It seems to be a constant thing, right? Which is ver very, very unpleasant and it's it's very unfortunate too but that's you know people in the united states i think today and in much of the world they think that you know as long as they just kind of go along to get along as long as they're just peaceful they'll always have their freedom and their liberty you know and abigail adams is telling you you're wrong it's not gonna it's not gonna happen that way not gonna happen you know so and this is similar to what i've said before about people being too concerned about today and she, she really implies that these people are lazy and apathetic, unable to sacrifice, un, you know, too comfortable to do anything of consequence, which is a very familiar sound. You know, that they're not willing to have a fight. I mean, even even the and I'm not even talking about bloodshed. People seem to be unable in very in certain circles seem to be unable to have any particular kind of fight whatsoever. I mean you take um We talked about this briefly before. The modern-day politician, like in the United States, for example, more closely resembles a politician of the Parliament of Britain in 1774 than they do the quote-unquote politicians, if you can even call call them that. I don't like to call them that. I don't like to call John Adams a politician because he wasn't. But a politician today in the United States more closely resembles a politician from the Parliament of Great Britain than a representative in the Continental Congress. Why is that? because they're comfortable, right? Quote, In excessive love of peace, they neglected the means of making it sure and lasting, end quote. Quote, By their too great solicitude for present tranquility, end quote. That's why. They are are more comfortable tending to their many millions of dollars and their various corruptions than they are to actually tend to the Tree of Liberty, which would be the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, etc. Now there's exceptions. I'm not saying they're all that way. I'm just saying that there's a lot of them who are that way. There's always an exception, but this seems to be the rule more than the exception, right? This uh this this uh excessive love of peace, their their great solicitude for present tranquility, they're 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 very much not wanting to do the hard work, you know, that that which is going to make things, you know, true and lasting. They're unwilling to do that and but and all too comfortable to uh to you know, to do the easier work and to tend to their Again, they're, they're many millions of dollars or they're the many millions of dollars of their benefactors in some particular kind of way. So the, the lesson to be learned here is do not love peace so much that you neglect to guard your liberty. And going along to get along at the cost of liberty is probably not the best way to go, folks. It just isn't. This is the lesson from Abigail Adams. Because let's read, let's read this, this last line that she had in this particular section. Quote, So there is nothing more shameful than and at the same time more pernicious when attained by bad measures and purchased at the price of liberty. End quote. Talking about peace, peace purchased at the price of liberty, nothing more shameful. That's Abigail Adams' comments on that. You wonder why I'm so harsh about this? I mean, my language is fairly subdued compared to some other podcasts. This is a family-friendly podcast. But Abigail Adams says there's nothing more shameful than this kind of attitude. And how in the world are you going to know what Abigail Adams is talking about unless you understand this period of time that the Founding Fathers were talking about here, in 1774. Unless you understand what the Founding Fathers did, what happened during the Revolution, how are you going to know what's shameful and what's not? And the answer is, you won't! Just as Abigail Adams, she puts it in the context, she puts what's going on in 1774 in the context of Sparta, for crying out loud. That was a long time ago! I mean, heck, that makes the Magna Carta sound like it was yesterday. And the Magna Carta happened in the 1200s. The 1200s! I mean, we live in a generation where people think it's really old-timey if it happened 50 years ago. Abigail Adams talking about Sparta, for crying out loud. I don't even know what somebody in the younger generations would think. If you start talking to them about Sparta, they'd probably be like, younger generations is kind of an ambiguous term. There's plenty of people alive today who'd probably think that I'm in the younger generations. From, and from their perspective, I mean, you could say, I, I guess I am in some, some regard, but I, I certainly don't feel like it. Honestly, I didn't feel much like I was in the younger generations, even when I was much younger. I've always had kind of a a more old-fashioned sensibility about me. But anyway, you get the idea. Abigail Adams doesn't have much tolerance for these people. She doesn't like it. She doesn't like this attitude of paying for liberty, or excuse me, paying for peace at the price of liberty. She doesn't like it. She says, there's nothing more shameful, ladies and gentlemen. That's pretty harsh terms. Quote, nothing more shameful, end quote. That's that's saying something, because there's a lot of shameful activity a human being can engage in, isn't there? And she says there's nothing more shameful. Goodness gracious, them's some harsh words right there. You think I'm harsh? Abigail Adams is more harsh than I am. Let's continue. Quote, I have received a most charming letter from our friend Mrs. Warren. She desires me to tell you that her best wishes attend you through your journey, both as a friend and patriot. Hopes you will have no uncommon difficulties to surmount the hostile movements to impede you. But if the Lucretians should interrupt you, she hopes you will be aware that no future annals may say you chose an ambitious Philip for your leader who subverted the noble order of the American Amphictions and built up a monarchy on the ruins of the happy institution, end quote. Good grief, what's she talking about? Mrs. Warren, that is. What's Mrs. Warren talking about? What's this talk of Lucretians, Philip, Amphictions, or Amphictony? These are these are again references to Greece. Philip in this particular context is is understood by me to be the Philip of Macedon and a power grab that he engineered in Greece. A power grab, ladies and gentlemen. Think King George III and his power grab vis-a-vis Stamp Act, the intolerable acts, this constant push towards tyranny. She's connecting that with Philip of Macedon. And these amphictyony that she's talking about in this paragraph, it's a type of um, council of sorts or a group of Greek states, uh, largely representing something of the, uh, the the old representative nature of, of the Greek states, that the freedom that they had, their their resistance to the, the despot king or something of that nature, much the same way that the Magna Carta attempted to set up institutions in that regard as well, and many other documents throughout British history, the Constitution, as John Adams and his uh, contemporaries would call it, the British Constitution of sorts. This was all subverted by Philip of Macedon to try to gain power. And she says this here, quote, She hopes you will be aware that no future annals may say you chose an ambitious Philip for your leader, who subverted the noble order of the American Amphictions and built up a monarchy on the ruins of the happy institution, end quote. So she's saying that no annals will say that you chose a Philip, a.k.a. King George III, who built up a monarchy on the ruins of the happy institution. That happy institution being what? Representative Republic, right? These, uh, these, these assemblies that were put together in the colonies to represent the people. That's what we're talking about here, ladies and gentlemen. And again, so it's not just Abigail Adams, it's Mrs. Warren saying this same kind of stuff. They're both looking to Greece as the model. What happened then? versus compared to what ha, what's happening right now because to understand the now the king george the from the their perspective when i say now i mean 1774 in this context to understand that you have to understand yesterday in this case philip of macedon this is so, this is some great stuff from abigail adams here and where else are you going to get this kind of information on abigail adams where are you going to get this stuff you're going to you're going to get this from history class in high school middle school the university probably not even the university Good luck with that. You think they want to teach you this stuff at the university? They don't. I was there. I remember. Again, again, the value of this podcast, we bring Mrs. Adams on as a guest on the podcast, as I like to say. For this reason here, you're not going to get this anywhere else but from Mrs. Adams. It's not from me that you're getting this stuff. I'm just the messenger here. I'm not the teacher so much as Abigail Adams is the teacher. I'm just the conduit through which she can do this from 250 years ago. This is important stuff. So, again, if, you, if, you're already, if you're debating with your friends or something or, or, you know, you have children, high school age, oh, I don't want to listen to that podcast. I don't want to, I don't want to le- read those letters. I don't want to read that material. And, and, again, it doesn't matter whether you're listening to this podcast or you engage a self-study. This podcast is just the easiest way that you're going to get this information. You're not going to get an easier way than this. If people are resistant to it, tell them, you know, Abigail Adams, pretty clear that she believed that you needed to understand yesterday to understand today. It's the way this works, folks. History is a very powerful tool, and it educated Mrs. Adams. And she's very right about this, you know. The thing that King George III was doing was trying to build up a monarchy on the ruins of that happy institution, as she calls it. In this case, the the representative assemblies of the colonies, and very much so Massachusetts. Tyrants are want to do that. They want to try to smash the representative assemblies, and they want to try to centralize power. You remember that comment that I made a number of episodes ago about how everybody feels like... Not everybody, forgive me. Why did I say that? Everybody? That's not true. A great many people want to make everything a federal issue. It's got to be a federal issue. Oh my gosh. It's like if the local dog catcher, you know, gets killed in a tragic farming accident or so or so, whatever, whatever the case may be, something ridiculously local that affects just the local county... People think that a federal law needs to be passed to, to prevent that from happening again. A federal law. Why? It's the county dog catcher for crying out loud. What are you making it a federal law for? Something else happens in the local city, the local town, the local county, or whatever. Oh, we gotta pass federal legislation. Are you kidding me? Do you realize that when you do that, you are asking, you are asking and begging and pleading for a Philip of Macedon or a King George the Third to come in and, quote, build up a monarchy on the ruins of the happy institution, end quote. You're asking for it. You're practically begging the central power to become a Philip of Macedon or a King George III. Are you insane? Are you out of your mind? Stop it! If anybody within the sound of my voice who believes in that principle of making everything a federal issue, my advice to you... And the advice of Abigail Adams and her contemporaries is stop it. Stop doing that. You're only going to hurt yourself. And that's fine with me if you want to hurt yourself. But what really irks me and what really irks Mrs. Adams most likely, I'm kind of guessing at this point, but what probably would irk Mrs. Adams is your willingness to hurt everybody else, the rest of the 320 million people who live in the United States. And because the United States is so impactful around the world, you're not just hurting 320 million people who live in the United States. You're probably hurting a couple of billion people around the world at some point. Maybe not immediately, but eventually. Stop it. I mean, these folks who feel like everything has to be a federal issue, it's almost like, it's almost like you're, you're dealing with children. And you have to kind of grab them by the shirt collar and just look them dead in the eye and say, stop it. The same way, you know, the same exact thing you would do to a child who's overeating, eating one, eating a whole sleeve of chocolate chip cookies and just gorging themselves in ways that are incredibly unhealthy. Just grab them by the shirt collar and say, stop it. It's the same kind of thing, same mindset. It's childish. Oh, Roman, you're being too harsh. You're referring to a a great many American people as being childish. Well, you know what? You can't really sugarcoat this stuff, and Abigail Adams isn't sugarcoating it either. If you think this is me being harsh again, I'm going to read it to you one more time, loud and proud. Quote, there is nothing more shameful, end quote. Do I, do I need to go on? Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir here in some respect. The listeners of this podcast are probably going to be like, Roman, for Pete's sake, we know. We know, we know, we know. Uh, we know Abigail Adams knows what she's talking about here, because you know we, we've read some of this same stuff before, and we've heard you talk about it on the podcast, too. I know that, but... There's, there's going to be people who roll into this podcast who have not read this stuff before, and there's going to be people who, have, who listen to this podcast. There's going to be some folks who roll into it having not heard this from anybody before. Not from Abigail Adams, not from me, not from you, not from anybody. And wh- what am I supposed to do with that? Just ignore it? No. i got, I got I to gotta, I gotta delve into this stuff and really layer it on because I can't be subtle about this. Otherwise, you know, believe me, some folks will miss this if I don't really dwell on it for a little while and I really just rail it home. People will miss this lesson, and this is an important one, ladies and gentlemen. This one, it doesn't, it doesn't get much more important than this. Okay, so when I say again, if you try to make everything a federal issue, what does that mean to make it a federal issue? You're basically asking for the central power to do everything. If you want everything to be a federal issue. Oh my gosh, something happened in my local city. We need a federal law. Why don't you just pass a law in the local city? Why don't you pass a law in your county? Why don't you pass a law at the state level at the absolute most? But stop there. It doesn't need to be a federal issue. If some other county wants to deal with it, let then let them deal with it. If they don't want to deal with it, then, then fine. They don't need to deal with it. If you want it dealt with where you live, then make it a local issue. Do not make it a federal issue. Because when you do, you're asking for King George III, Philip of Macedon, Joseph, Stalin, Mao Tse-tung, You're asking for all of them. You're asking for the whole gang of reprobates of delusional lunatics drunk on power to come in and smash your life and smash everybody else's life around you. You're just begging them to do it. And stop it. For the sake of all of the people in the history of the world who have died for no other reason than to get just one little ounce of freedom. Stop it. Just stop. There. And feel free to share that with your friends and colleagues and whatever else. I mean, a lot of people need to hear that. So let's continue on with what Mrs. Adams spends her time doing while her husband is away. Quote, I have taken a very great fondness for reading Rollins' ancient history since you left me. I am determined to go through with it, if possible, in these my days of solitude. I find great pleasure and entertainment from it, and I have persuaded Johnny to read me a passage or two every day and hope he will, from his desire to oblige me, entertain a fondness for it. End quote. So here's Abigail Adams saying how she enjoys and views it important to read... Uh, This history that she speaks of. And isn't that why we're here on this podcast, studying this material together, you and me? Of course, it's the same kind of thing, right? You and I have a fondness for this history. Or at least, you know, you're inquisitive. Uh, Like I said, some folks who listen to this podcast are going to be history enthusiasts, and some of them are just going to be uh, of a curious nature, uh, wondering, "Oh, yeah, I, I know. I don't know much about the Founding Fathers or the the Revolution. I need to n- learn a little bit more about that. Let me let me listen to this podcast for a little bit, see if it has anything to uh, teach me on what the Founding Fathers actually wrote." But one way or another, that's why we're here. And isn't it wonderful that Abigail Adams has a fondness for this, and she has Johnny reading it. John, this would be John Quincy Adams, sixth president of the United States. She has him reading it. No wonder he was so educated as a president of the United States. He had the best teacher. Because who could be better than Abigail Adams? Who would do a better job than her to teach the sixth president of the United States? Now, of course, she didn't know he was going to be the sixth president of the United States. But I think she raised him to do that kind of work. She didn't even know what a president of the United States was going to be at this time. She had no idea. That was such a distant dream for these people. But there, there she was teaching Johnny the whole time getting him ready for that job, preparing him at a very young age to do that kind of work. Isn't that a lesson to the parents of the United States today? The millions of American parents who send their kids off to the public school system or the private school system, the charter schools, whatever, and just cross their fingers and hope for the best? Maybe you ought to have your children reading this kind of stuff around you in the house. Give them an assignment. Hand them a book. Like what John Quincy Adams was reading. If you want to raise somebody capable of doing that kind of work, you probably ought to follow the model of Abigail Adams because she did a pretty good job with Johnny. And how could any harm ever come from that, having your children read about this history? What could possibly go wrong? What are they going to do, turn to a life of crime because they sat down and read Rollins' ancient history? Give me a break. So just like Mrs. Adams studying ancient Greece and all this history, you know, we study the 1770s. Because we're educating ourselves for the benefit of our country and our future. And for those of you around the world, outside of the United States, you're, you're, you're studying this material with us. And I thank you so very much for doing so, by the way. It's a great honor to me to have people from around the world. So you have no idea how grateful I am to have you folks with us. It's, it's an amazing, it's an honor to me. It truly is. And, and the Founding Fathers would be just absolutely thrilled. I, I, I can I can well imagine that you would take your time to study this material with us. And honestly, it would probably, of course, just the, the fact that we can study this around the world, uh, me from just some random place in the United States, uh, able to, uh, give voice to the founding fathers around the world. That would blow their mind. But just the fact that you're, that you're dedicating your time to this, I think would be amazing to them. And they would be very grateful to you as well. But we're all doing this to educate ourselves for the benefit of our country and our future. We, we really are. That's why we do this. And isn't this a great letter from Abigail Adams to John Adams? You know, this whole thing is full of education. I mean, from talking about ancient Greece and connecting that with our liberties that they were fighting for in 1774 and King George III. And to end it on, on, on the education of children, John Quincy Adams in this case. It's fantastic. I absolutely, I thoroughly enjoyed this letter. And I hope you did as well, you know, talking about the, the misfortunes of Sparta and all, and all the rest of it. It's, it's, it's just fantastic. Uh, she has a great perspective, doesn't she, Abigail Adams? I, I think she really does. She's very much a realist. I mean, she's not, you know, she's not one for just the warm and fuzzy feelings. She's she's very much uh, talking about real stuff that really happened in Sparta and Greece so many years ago. And then talk, connecting that with what they were dealing with at the time, she saw it as being very similar. And I, I agree with her. In hindsight, I agree with her. Because these people don't change. A Philip of Macedon, a King George Third. Or even people in modern times who fit this kind of personality—they're the same kind of people. They're always the same. They—they they don't change. They always do the same kind of stuff. So keep an eye out for it. But anyway, I meant to get to at least one of my other letters today, but we're a little bit long in this episode. And if I—if I—if I proceed forward, this next letter is actually quite lengthy. Well, the letter itself isn't terribly long. The discussion around it could be lengthy. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and soldier on though, and I'm going to read this. We're going to finish this up. This episode might be a little bit long, but I think we can get through this next section. And if uh, if this one's a long episode, then then please just bear with me. I don't want to. I, I hope I don't cross into TLDR territory. I know the core audience of this podcast isn't TLDR types anyway, but um, I, I know some of you folks have a lot of stuff on your plate. You got a lot of work to do. You work in multiple jobs, or maybe just one job that takes a long time. So um, anytime one of these episodes goes over an hour, I really appreciate your sacrifice and time to uh to to listen to this so let's talk more because this one's very much related to what we just talked about so i want to finish it uh this is a letter from john adams back to abigail adams and this is on august the 28th of 1774 written from princetown new jersey so adams is still on the road headed towards philadelphia and we actually read a portion of this letter in a previous episode of the podcast i saved this next section for this episode because i knew it would be related to that last letter that we just read quote the education of our children is never out of my mind Train them to virtue. Habituate them to industry, activity, and spirit. Make them consider every vice as shameful and unmanly. Fire them with ambition to be useful. Make them disdain to be destitute of any useful or ornamental knowledge or accomplishment. Fix their ambition upon great and solid objects, and their contempt upon little, frivolous, and useless ones. It is time, my dear, for you to begin to teach them French, every decency, Grace and honesty should be inculcated upon them, end quote. You know, it is a great treat to me to be able to listen to the words of John Adams as it pertains to his education of his children. Because you got to imagine, you know, there's that old saying that says, you know, a lot of times when parents begin to speak, they find that their voice sounds a lot like their parents. In other words, the things that they're, that they're saying sound a lot like what their parents said to them, and there's some truth in that. You got to imagine that what John Adams is saying here, here is basically the model that his parents set forth for him in some regard. Given his education, given his intelligence, his hard work, his decency and honor, a lot of that is what we're talking about here in this paragraph, is it not? So by him telling us this, he's giving us a window into how he was educated. So if you want to, if you want to raise up, a, you know, if you have children and you want to raise up another John Adams, that's a tall order, by the way. This in part, is how you do that. Quote, train them to virtue, end quote. Haven't we heard that word before? Didn't I do an episode called Virtue and Corruption? How those two things are opposed to one another, and that if you don't give people virtue, if people don't have virtue, corruption will automatically come in, in its, on top of it in its place. If you If you take all the virtue out of it, corruption will inevitably just fill that void. So he says train them to virtue. Now what does that mean? Virtue means different things to different people. I would I would argue if you if you get conflicted about that. Think about what John Adams thought was virtuous. And if you want to know that, you're going to have to read a lot of John Adams. Keep in mind John Adams was a very religious man, and that played a role in this. I'm not saying you have to be a very religious person. I'm just saying you have to under- if you want to understand John Adams' virtue, you have to understand that you cannot understand John Adams without understanding his religion. That's my opinion. People are going to disagree with me on that. Probably some biographers, people who've written books about John Adams, would say, "Oh, Roman, for crying out loud! You you don't you you don't you don't need to understand John Adams' religion to understand the man." Well, yeah, I disagree. I think you do, because it was so much a part of what he did. It show it shows up everywhere. Uh, again, if you if you read what he wrote, it shows up all over the place. So there's that. But let's, let's listen to more of this. Quote, make them consider every vice as shameful and unmanly, end quote. Every vice as shameful. Now, if you want to know what, a, what vices he, he considered to be, you know, a vice, you know, what was he talking about when he meant vice? He mentions a, a number of them. We talked about them in a previous episode when he was talking about the various vices that were going on in Boston at the time, mainly brought on by the king's agents and the king's troops, the military, that was present at the time. So go back and listen to that episode. I forget which one it was. I think it might have been the uh, first episode we did on the letters from John Adams, or maybe the second one, I forget. Quote, fix their ambition upon great and solid objects, and their contempt on little frivolous and useless ones, end quote. You know, that's a hard thing to do in this day and age. There's so many frivolous things that, that occupy our time. I'm, I'm gonna do a patreon podcast episode at one time on this kind of stuff if you ever want to hear a longer discourse from me about education and what John Adams is talking about in the raising of, of children in his model and what he's talking what I think he's talking about I guess I should say it's going to be very much an opinion podcast which is why I would never do it here so much it, it's too much speculation on my part for me to be able to do it here that it doesn't really. It's, it's, it, I would wander too far afield from the, from the letter to be able to justify it on this particular podcast, which is why I put it on the Patreon side. I have the reason, if you wonder why I do that, why do I put some things on the Patreon side, and not here? Number one, the Patreon podcast is, is a different podcast. It's a revenue generating podcast, or at least it's supposed to be, whereas this one is not. And also, it, it's, it covers, topics that i can't cover here because i have a commitment on this podcast to really stick with what the founding fathers were saying uh, so it's uh, i have to be intellectually honest i have to confine some things to patreon i can't bring them over here but just fyi on that uh just to let you know it's there if you, or it's not there yet but it's going to be there if you want to listen to it right now there's other things there if you want to listen to those things on patreon but right now it's just not there and if you're curious how to get there if this is the first episode you're listening to it's um the link to my patreon is in the description box of this podcast but anyway so contempt for little frivolous and useless things, you know, that's so hard to do in this day and age. But I, I would, I would make a concerted effort towards discouraging children from frivolous activity to the extent possible, and encouraging more ambition upon great and solid objects, like what John Adams was talking about. Interesting, and that's that, that's that's why Abigail Adams, in the previous letter, why he, she was having Johnny, John Quincy, read some history. Why do you think she was doing that? And and, and uh, listen to this quote. It is time, my dear, for you to begin to teach them French. Every decency, grace, and honesty should be inculcated upon them. End quote. It's teach them French. Wow. So you notice how John Adams doesn't say it's time for you, my dear, to have somebody else teach them French. Just just send them somewhere to teach them French. No, he doesn't say that. He says it's time. It's time, my dear, for you to begin to teach them French. You, 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 and you. How many parents out there, like you husbands out there, how many times have you said to your wife, it's it's time for you to begin to teach our children this? How many wives out there listening to this podcast have told your husbands, it's time for you to begin to teach our children this? You know, I think that's a conversation that's kind of gotten lost in the modern time, isn't it? I mean, do parent do parents or husband and wife do they do they say that to each other very often or do they just kind of count on other people to do that for them? Oh, just send send them to school, they'll figure it out. The school will figure it out. If they need to learn it, the school will teach it to them. Really? First of all, if there's any of you folks out there, and again, the listeners of this podcast, I I, I don't think this is going to be quite as common as it is in the greater population, but if there's anybody out there in the sound of my voice who, who still has that attitude in the year 2021 of just send the kids to school, the school will figure it out. If, the, if they need to learn it, the school will figure it out. Uh, I, I got news for you. They ain't just going to figure it out. And it ain't just going to happen. I'm just putting that out there. Most of the time, on on topics like this, no. Not not going to happen. Now, you can disagree with me. That's fine. Reasonable people can disagree. But I was there, and I've talked to a lot of other people who were there in different places. And no, it ain't it ain't just taught. Uh-huh. And you know, and I have the fortune, I have the great fortune of having grown up in many places. I went to many schools when I was growing up. That's the product of being a, in a military family. And so I didn't just, I didn't grow up in, I'm not the classic, you know, raised in suburbia with a silver spoon in my mouth kind of guy who went to one school, the local school, and stayed in that school from, you know, kindergarten all the way up through the time I graduated high school. that That's not my life, thank goodness. And by the way, for all this is just kind of an aside. For all you folks out there who might be in the military, if you have children and you're concerned about moving them around the country and how that might harm them in some particular kind of way, as somebody who's now much older, and I went through that, and I was moved around a bunch as a kid, and I, I moved schools a lot because uh, the military has this interesting thing about re, re, redeploying somebody within the country every couple of years. I could tell you, I look back on that as being a great benefit to me. It informed my character, and it informed my, my education, and I, I think it was probably one of the better things that ever happened to me. So don't feel bad when you're moving your kids around. And if they complain, just tell them, you'll appreciate it later, and they will, believe me. I'm I'm walking evidence of that. Very grateful to my parents for that. Even though it was kind of indirect, it's not like they really intended to do it, it just kind of happened as a function of their job. But that said, I, I've been to a lot of schools in my time, and I've been around the country a bunch, and I, I'm telling you, these schools are not teaching it. And I, I've been to school on post, on military base, and I've been to school off post when I was a kid. And it didn't matter. They They're not teaching this stuff, so... Take it into your own hands, parents. Follow the, follow the model of John Adams here and, and teach that. And I like this line, quote, fire them with ambition to be useful, end quote. That's amazing, isn't it? This that's a tough one today in some respects. I mean, how, how many parents have trouble with that? Uh, so many so many children are raised in a charmed life in the United States. They really do have a charmed life. They may they may act like they don't, but they do. Uh, even I would say in in some respects, I had a charmed life growing up in some respects, not in every respect, but in some respects I did because I because why? because I was born in the United States, that's it that that alone kind of uh, in many cases is uh is a charmed life, not for everybody. There's some people who really have it hard in this country, and I mean really hard. but i would I would say if you're if you're you know fire your children to be useful, yes, find them something useful to do. Building something, creating something, learning how to work hard, you know, don't let them be too comfortable. If your children are too comfortable, fix that problem. That's my advice to you. And I think that's what John Adams is trying to say here when he says to uh, fix their, quote, contempt upon little frivolous and useless ones, end quote. So in other words, you know, teach them to have contempt for these frivolous things that they spend their time with. That's an interesting thought from John Adams. I I really, uh, I think about that one. And, you know, self-education, you know, I I talk, I've talked a lot about, you know, what children, what it's like to to educate children from what John Adams said here and, and to raise them up for virtue and all the rest of it, like John Adams says. But honestly, we all have work to do with that on ourselves as well, including me, by the way. I try to do a lot of that, which is why I listen to a lot of podcast material from great people that I trust, from great voices, the old wise men as I would say. I've had three great teachers in my life, uh, aside from my parents, of course. My parents are kind of a default teacher. But aside from them, I've had three great teachers in my life. One day I'll talk about them on a Patreon podcast, most likely. And I listen to those voices a lot. And, and when I see three great teachers, by the way, I don't mean teachers in public school or university. These, these are people outside of all that. Um, these aren't people that I've ever met, actually. I never met a single one of them. I wished I'd had. Unfortunately, all three of them are no longer with us. But, um, I never met them. But they're still my great teachers, as I call them. But they were the old wise men, right? And I spent a lot of time listening to them. You know what a fun exercise is to, to figure out how people people spend their time? The next time you pull up to— the next time you're out driving through town and you pull up next to a car and you can actually hear what's going on inside the car, what they're listening to, in other words, music or the spoken word, podcast, usually— Um, how many cars do you pull up next to that they're listening to music versus how many cars do you pull up next to where they're listening to the spoken word? My guess is the ratio is probably, I don't know, 90% music, 10% the spoken word. In other words, somebody listening to a podcast. And then of those podcasts that people are listening to, probably only a small fraction of those are really of any educational value. That tells you a lot how much time people spend actually educating themselves. Just that one little window into their world will tell you a lot about them. Now, don't get me wrong. I listen to music in the car. I do. Sometimes. I would say, I'd say it's almost exactly the reverse for me. I would say probably somewhere between 80-90% of the time I'm listening to the spoken word in my car, podcast material. And 10% of the time, somewhere between 10-20% and of the time I'm listening to music. That's educational. Um, That's educational time for me in the car. Now, sometimes I like to listen to music in the car, but other times I don't. And is is that what John Adams is talking about when he says... Avoid the frivolous ones and fix their ob- and fix their attention on solid objects, as he says. It could be, you know, because I, I got to put this in a modern context. That's kind of what I think about when I think about what he's talking about in this letter. I think there's something to that. So when you're riding around, when you're riding around in the car, what are you listening to? And I'm not saying you have to do what I do and listen to podcasts ninety percent of the time. That that's kind of an extreme. I'm an extreme example. I've been doing this since I was a kid. It's just what I'm used to. I'm more accustomed to listening to that kind of thing in the car than I am accustomed to listening to music. It's just my personality. It's just how I'm wired. Does everybody need to do that? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, I don't know that I would even recommend it because it, it probably, yeah, I, th- I think listening to music a little bit more often and, and, and using that to, to de-stress or relax or just enjoy your time is, is, is fine. Believe me, it's fine. It's probably a healthy thing, but I, do- I certainly don't think it should be like, 90% of the time music and 10% the spoken word. I think it should probably be some balance between the two. And so when you're spending time in the car, especially if you got your kids in the car, it's a great opportunity. That's a captive audience right there. Uh, that's a great opportunity for you to play the uh, the podcast from the old wise men, uh, whoever it is that you, you regard as your great teachers. And hopefully it's not a comedian. Uh, and I, I say that somewhat jokingly, but um, I, I can tell you right now, none of my great teachers are comedians. It's not what they did. Uh, one of them was... Um, well, one of them you might construe as a comedian, I guess, in some respect. He really wasn't, though. Some people thought he was funny. But um, one of them was a, a professional speaker of sorts. He was not a comedian. Uh, another one was a military guy, military soldier, and, which which makes sense for me because I come from a military family. I tend to look towards the military for some element of my wisdom and education it's just it's it's been it's been ingrained in me since i was very young so so when i say to you folks you know i I am suspicious of a standing army because the founding fathers were very suspicious of a standing army don't don't mistake me for having some contempt for the military i have a i have a great fondness for it in many respects but i am suspicious of it at the same time and then uh, another one of my great teachers was a religious personality of sorts so those are my those are the three wise men and like I said I'll talk more about that on a patreon podcast but that just gives you an idea so you know you listen to this kind of stuff in the car it's an opportunity to focus again on these solid objects rather than the frivolous ones and there's a multitude of other opportunities for that I mentioned the listening to stuff in the car because it's podcast because it could be podcast material it pertains to the what I'm doing here this podcast that we listen to. Um, So when you folks come to study this information with me and to study this material with me, we're very much kind of, we're we're doing what John Adams would probably suggest us to do. We're studying this great material from his wife, Abigail Adams, and talking about Greece and Philip of Macedon. And we're talking about, you know, what these folks actually were, uh, were fighting for back in 1774. That's an important thing. So in that respect, we are living up to what John Adams wanted us to do. And that's a credit to you folks out there listening to this podcast. It really is. The fact that you actually sought this material out and you're listening to it, you're actually listening to what Abigail Adams had to say and Benjamin Franklin and John Adams and Samuel Adams and all these folks. That's a, that's a big deal. Uh, that's you basically taking your education into your own hands and really embracing it. Honestly, I'm honored to be to be studying on a po- podcast like this with the likes of you folks. I really am. Because you folks are really the, the backbone of the, uh, of the country in a great many respects as it pertains to the education of the country. That's a fantastic thing. I can't think of anybody better to be studying this material with than you folks, because I think I think you get what John Adams was writing about right here, um, and this statement that he made of quote, "The education of our children is never out of my mind." End quote. And isn't that what the Korean War veteran I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast was talking about as well? The education of our children. Interesting how all these things connect, right? That's what we're really. That's why we're here on this podcast in some respects, so we can educate ourselves and thus and thus educate. Our neighbors, our friends, our family, our children. And if you are one of those young people listening to this podcast, maybe somebody in middle school or high school, you're you're, you're basically doing that job yourself, too. You're taking it in your own hands. Maybe your parents told you about this podcast, or maybe you just found it yourself. That's a big deal. And thank you for living up to what John Adams wanted us to do, you know, for, for seeking out this information and learning about it. And I'm sure this podcast is not the only way that you're educating yourself. I'm sure anybody who listens to this podcast, i got to imagine, is probably listening to a number of other podcasts as well, uh, or some other material, or maybe reading other material uh, of a similar nature, of a, of a historic co- uh, nature, uh, something of consequence. And on a final note here of this letter, this this line, quote, every decency, grace, and honesty should be inculcated in them, end quote. If every politician in the country were raised this way, I think we could probably all just sit back and relax and have nothing to worry about, don't you? Unfortunately, you know, I really feel like only a very small number were raised with that kind of concept from John Adams. And how sad and dangerous is that for this country? It is very dangerous that people are not raised with that kind of mindset anymore, and then they find their way into government. Don't make that mistake. And for those of you who are taking time to educate yourselves and study this material with me, as I have taken, taken, taken the opportunity to educate myself as well... You know, the, these are the these are the kind of qualities that we really do look for in government and politicians, or we should. It's what John Adams had. Samuel Adams as well, also. Why do you think Samuel Adams was so popular at the time? He wasn't a perfect man by any stretch of the imagination. There's there's a few stories I could tell about Samuel Adams that I know of that suggest that, that his he wasn't his character wasn't always perfect, but whose was, really. But John Adams and Samuel Adams, pretty good guys all around. And Abigail Adams, I mean, goodness gracious, fantastic woman, right? And that's because they were taught this way. They were taught, you know, quote, every decency, grace, and honesty. End quote. Uh, this is the way they were brought up. So I, I try to think about that, and I try to think about what does that mean for John Adams, and how can I, how can I bring that into my life? How can I, how can I take what John Adams is writing here and make it a part of myself? I think about that a lot. But with that said, we will, that's that's all I have for this episode. We went a little bit long here. I don't know how long this episode is going to be in the, uh, of course, I'll have my concluding remarks here in a few minutes, but I don't know how long this is going to be in the final edit, but it's probably going to be well over an hour. Uh, my apologies for that, uh, but I wanted to fit all that stuff in, and I had, a, I had a lot to talk about around that material because it's so very important. I didn't just want to skim over. it. I could have, but you know, I just, I, I didn't want to do it. And so I'll I'll um, I'll finish my concluding remarks in the next section of this podcast. Let's do that right now. All right. Well, I'll keep this section short. Uh, the final section of the podcast, since we went so long elsewhere. I just want to say thank you for joining me on this episode. Uh, I I won't I won't make it a habit making these episodes so long as I did here, uh, making it well over an hour. I've broken that one hour mark once before, I think, or maybe twice before. I try not to do that. But uh, if you spend that much time listening to this podcast episode, I thank you for it. Thank you for uh, bearing with me on that. And um, like I mentioned uh, before on the on this episode, if you want to check out my Patreon podcast, you can. Uh, if I don't know if you find my perspective to be particularly valuable. I certainly hope you do. And if so, my Patreon podcast is really a means to get access to that outside of the context of the Founding Fathers and the American Revolution. Uh, I talk about a wide array of topics over there. A lot of it's related to history, but some of it's not. Uh, my next episode, for example, is going to be related to history, but it's really it's going to be on the um, it's going to be on the internet in the 1990s, and in the context of the modern problems that we face with the internet in 2021. There's a va- there's a vast difference between the two. What happened in the 1990s and what's happening today. And I was there, you know, in the beginning, not not in the very beginning of the internet. Uh, number one, I was a little bit too young and number two, I didn't have the internet until roughly the mid 90s, but that was pretty early for most people, I suspect. So I kind of grew up with it in in a many ways. And I saw what it was then, and I see what it is today, and there's a difference. And I'm gonna talk about that on that on that um, patreon side. Things like that and and a bunch of other things. I got a I got a good conversation over there about the British Empire. And uh, things of that nature. So, if you want to check that out, it's patreon.com/podcastswithroman. slash uh, podcasts with It helps me out to uh, to support the Patreon side because, again, that's the only revenue generating podcast that I have is the Patreon podcast. That's the only one. This one is really just intended to be a 100% educational podcast, and uh, I'm happy to do it just for the honestly for the for the privilege and honor of being able to teach this material to folks and to study it with you with you guys. I really I really appreciate the opportunity, um, and hope to. Keep seeing you folks back here for future episodes of this podcast, and I, I thank those of you who've stuck with the podcast since almost the beginning. And I like I, I'm happy to see the numbers continuing to grow in places like California, uh, Pennsylvania, and strong numbers still in Texas and elsewhere. North Carolina, again, another big state for a lot of downloads. Several other states as well are pretty high up on the list. There's there's a uh, there's a there's a good number of states that are participating here and for those folks around the world in different countries I I thank you so very very much. So with that said, I I look forward to seeing you folks on the next episode of this podcast and uh, I I believe we're going to I believe I'm going to be able to do a feature length episode for Wednesday at least I hope I will be able to if not it'll be pushed to Sunday but I'm hoping I'll be able to do a feature length cuz it's already it's all set up. I got the material all out and marked up and everything. It's it's good to go. Uh, if that changes of course you'll you'll find out on Wednesday but uh, I'm getting caught back up after after recovering from my cold and uh, and uh, other things just being behind generally my research, so we're, we're catching up here a little bit, and uh, I still haven't figured out how I'm going to handle the format of the podcast yet, if I'm going to switch the Wednesday, or excuse me, the Thursday episode really is what it is, if I'm going to switch the Thursday episode to being a shorter length in perpetuity, or if I'm going to keep it feature length for the most part. I, I don't know yet. I will figure that out as I go. i um, still trying to figure out the, the general format of the podcast since we're still pretty early in this thing. I've only been doing this for a couple of months now, but um, thank you for bearing with me. Uh, if you have any comments or suggestions or whatever, you can leave those in a review to this podcast, or again, you can do it on Patreon if you decide to go over there. With that said, this is Roman signing off. Thank you.